and gentlemen, welcome to episode 216 of the 1099. As always, I am your host, Joseph Noop, and I'm glad you're here with us. Uh, game developer conferences are always some of my favorite times, and I've never been disappointed attending one. Uh, while GDC, that is the official game developers conference held in San Francisco each year, marches along, a common criticism is that it's exclusionary to people from marginalized communities. It's real expensive, basically. And that's why I wanted to learn more about the Game Devs of Color Expo, which took place in Harlem, New York a month ago, and see what it's doing differently and how it's helping Game Devs of Color uh, get their feet in the door or build their business or whatnot. And to that end, I've got an incredibly wonderful guest this week. He's a game designer on Treachery and Beatdown City and an organizer of the Game Devs of Color Expo, Mr. Sean Alexander Allen, whose name did not fit in our recording uh, app. So he's Sean AA for the rest of this show. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing pretty good, actually. How are you? It's good. And I uh, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to, you know, let like let me into this world and show me what you guys are doing there. Um, I've talked before to, uh, you may or may not be familiar with uh, Khalif Adams, who oh, is the, yeah. yeah, Khalif. Khalif is great, uh, yeah, host was, of Spawn on Me. He's been on, yeah, it was on the second, like second or third episode of Spawn on Me. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We're pulling deep there. Wow. Uh, I love Khalif and I've talked to him before about uh, more from the games media side of things, fostering a community where people of color, you know, can flourish. Uh, but I've yet to do something like that uh, for uh, game developers. And I guess we're going to talk about the game devs of Color Expo. And But first, I wanted to get a little bit of background. The earliest thing that I could find about you was you worked for a, a number of years at Rockstar, but was that was that your first job or did you have something prior to that? Uh, I mean, I had a million jobs. Uh, <laughs> I used to be a camp counselor <laughs> forever ago. Um, at the camp that I attended for like almost 10 years, I became a, I was like always in leadership and then became a counselor there. Um, that place is amazing. Uh, Raymond Play Anchorage Camp, and uh, then I went to you know went to School of Visual Arts, and while I was there, I worked at EB Games, and then GameStop took us over, and by the so when I my last year of school, I was in school for a long time because I switched majors from graphic design to computer art, and computer art's a weird thing because it's like computer art is. They, they call it computer art, but it really meant just character animation, 3D character animation. They didn't even teach us like modeling environments. Like you had to learn all that stuff on your own if you wanted mm -hmm. to. And, and so I went from there. That's like actually because I really focus on cameras and a lot of that, 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 that focus actually is what got me my job at Rockstar because although I actually applied and almost got another job at Rockstar before the one I ended up getting. And that one basically went cold. It was like a PR position, but the game capture position at Rockstar was definitely like, that was where I needed to be. Well, it's crazy that you, uh, at least that relatively early on, you got a job with Rockstar of all places. And uh, in the years since you've, uh, the biggest thing that seems to be going on in your career as a game designer is uh, you're you're close as far as I understand it, you're close to releasing Treachery and Beatdown City, this really cool mix of an RPG and classic like brawl uh, brawler uh, beat 'em up kind of game. Uh, from what I've seen so far, you seem to really focus on 
environment design that evokes like NYC's uh, changing landscape over the last several decades. Uh, what what parts of that game are drawn from your personal experiences? I I mean I think everything for a lot of different reasons. Like so, the environments are all. Uh, I started on when I started pulling the environments. I actually started just photographing my own neighborhood, and then you know because you can't a lot of buildings repeat or there's not so, a lot of interesting stuff. So I actually just kind of started making like my approximation of what a neighborhood looks like. So you see like six different buildings that are on six different blocks put next to each other to give you like the idea of what a neighborhood would look like. Like the first image I made from the game was very much uh, a block, like five blocks away from where I, I lived. And then I started going into Google Maps and starting grabbing screen grabs and then putting together my own ideas of buildings and then, you know, going through and abstracting them. And I mean, I'd say even the, the like the top down between beat-em-ups comes from, uh, I wrote a, a dev, like a dev breakdown of TMNT, like on Nintendo, and how brilliant the overworld is in that game. And there's lots of overworlds in games, games but that game, had like this overworld that was super like weirdly open and our game isn't that open, but it just, that's the game that sticks in my mind when I, that was like a, probably my first top down game. Um, and then even like just the art style is heavily influenced by double dragon specifically. Like it's not like, I'm not like drawing from all pixel art. I'm like looking at the style of double dragon. And then I thought about, well, how can I expand on that? Because double dragon felt like New York to me. Like you know, post-apocalyptic double dragon world, yeah. <laughs> and and it's interesting because if you, as I dug deeper, found at finding like the, the influences for like double dragon's world, which was like Mad Max and uh, Streets of Fire and all these like American movies that were about like weird fifties, eighties future apocalypse cities. I'm like, yeah, well, that's what New York just feels like already. So when me and my friends would play, like I didn't own a lot of these games. I didn't own a Nintendo as a kid. I owned Double Dragon as a, a Tiger Electronics game. Found that for like a dollar on the street. So I owned that. Um, but like, so Double Dragon on the Nintendo and Bad Dudes, those were games that just stuck with me. And just, they were, I guess I just have loved them for a very long time. So when I wanted to make a game, like that, because um, I I don't know been working on a bunch of stuff. But when I was like, let me make a game that's personal to me. Let me make a game where if you walk up to someone and they say something shitty to you, you can fight them. And that's like the city, right? Like you want to fight these people, but you can't because you go to jail. Um, especially being like a six foot five, like black person. Like I already like am intimidating, and people are like, you're not intimidating. And I'm like, well, you know me, and you're not the police. You've never seen me get stopped by the cops for a random reason uh, or any other stuff, which I have been. Uh, actually, during, well, after a day of working at my day job and then the game, while walking home, like one minute from the train station, I got stopped because of my hair. And then I matched a description of a guy who held up some, like, a couple of white people in my neighborhood. I was living in Bushwick at the time, and which is rapidly gentrifying neighborhood. So I was basically experiencing... And like playing clothes cops that like, you know, I try not to pay attention to people if I don't have to, 
I look at a lot of people for art, but like I try to keep my head down and these guys just started like flashing something and I wasn't paying attention. And I'm like, man, this could have gone a million different ways. I was like shaking after it. I somehow <laughs> narked my way out of the conversation. Cause I was just like, I basically was like, cool. So you're racially profiling me. I don't know how that worked. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I talked myself out of that. And I like called my, my girlfriend now wife at the time of uh, at that time, right after my phone was dying. It was just, so this game is very personal to me on like basically every level. It's like, it's my experience with games from basically every level. It's the story is very like, it's, I don't know. I got, if I laugh at it and other people laugh at it, then that's good. So it's like, you know, I don't know. It's, I feel like Jordan Peele said it best where he was like, make something you don't think other people would make. And uh, like even Key and Peele has been, both of the people have been inspiring to me since, They've been writing like Mad TV back in the day. So I used their type of humor and him making Get Out made a better lens for me to be able to tell people about microaggression heavy humor. So it's, it's, it's kind of a weird lifetime of stuff going into this game. That's crazy to hear. Uh, and and it's funny you say all that because I, I was listening to, we talk about Khalif, I was listening to the latest episode of Spawn on Me where he talks to uh, Youssef Cole um, who's now working for a uh, Patriot act with Hassan Minaj. And they were talking about like the, the old mean streets of Harlem and how even those have changed pretty significantly, uh, over the last decade plus. And, uh, I, I would never would have, we think as a games journalist, we think so often of like, well, what is, what older game is this game trying to be like, or, you know, taking inspiration from, and, you know, it's the dark souls of, of, of beat em ups or it's the, <laughs> the Mario Kart of, of dating Sims or something like that. But it's cool to hear you illustrate all these very personal experiences into uh, a very pixely <laughs> kind of game. You know, mm -hmm. um, I, I think too often we associate uh, games that like try to capture the black American experience with um, uh, was it, we are Chicago, which got like somewhat mediocre reviews, it, like a telltale style, like here's, we're trying to be realistic, but like, you can also tell those stories in a much more cartoonish pixel kind of game like uh, treachery. So that's cool. I'd say our, I'd say our game is more realistic than that game. <laughs> I know that game very well. Um, uh, and it's not made by black folks. It, like there's a dude who wrote it, but like, you know, uh, I don't know. You need a lot of right. references and like, you know, my game's about my very real anxiety of walking down the street. Um, that game is about respectability politics. Um, you have to be like, like you have to be like a po a slam poetry kid, like to be the one who escapes the drugs. And that's like the worst message, right? Like pull your pants worst, up yeah. and be a poet and you won't die from gang violence. And I'm like, that is literally not true. Um, I, I was in, I, I stayed home all the time and anytime I would venture out, it would become a little bit like, you know, I stayed to myself. I drew, I, uh, like I make Legos and make weird music. But if I ventured out, if I went five direct blocks the wrong way, you know, I don't know what would happen. So I always tried to avoid that, but. Well, that that's crazy. And, uh, yeah, no, the, the, we are Chicago, uh, kind of felt like the, the on a very special episode of the fresh prince kind of version yeah. of that story you know um uh for better or worse and so let's let's move a little bit into the actual game developers of color expo uh mm -hmm. were you involved with 
the beginning of that or did you come into it at a certain point uh wh- where did this idea for an expo uh to to help build up game developers of color come in to your life so yeah it's i was not well i did not start it but i was as far as i know well i mean so so cat small uh, along with like her group Brooklyn Gamery, which includes this, uh, her, one of our partners, Chris Algu. But I, um, I feel like Kat is like this organizer of the people, right? Like she, um, had, had organized like tech meetups for new people in the tech space to try to help people. And then she started teaching at uh, Code Liberation, which teaches women how to like make games from coding and all those standpoints, which is, you know, super revolutionary in itself. And that she was like, you know, tapped by like a Phoenix Perry along with a, a, a bunch of other women. It was like teaching women and like femmes, right? Like not necessarily the more insular like women and people who I like, I don't know, because a lot of these women groups sometimes use language that is actually very exclusionary of people that they're mm-hmm. still trying to reach just because um, this women often have that issue. Um, and it's, um, and so like, yeah, this group was supposed to be like more inclusive. And, uh, I met Kat because I saw her on Twitter. I don't know. Twitter, like people talk about Twitter's terrible. And I'm like, this is literally how I know people these days. Um, it's where a lot of black folks go to like talk about stuff. And that's why it's super valuable. And I saw her because she was friends with one of my friends and I saw her on Twitter. I started following her because I was like, Oh, black woman making games. Cool. Sounds cool. I want to follow her. I want to know what she's doing. She was teaching a, a, uh, UX class and I went to it and I have this thing where I whisper to people I do my own whisper network of hey like because there was just a point in my life where um, I don't even know if it was by the time I left Rockstar but I just was like there are no black people in this game industry what the fuck is going on <laughs> I was just like <laughs> like I, I worked in retail with black people selling games to other black people in New York Um like I had Method Man come in one day and buy Madden from me. And it's it's a crazy story that even goes deeper. It's, it's funny. I met him years later while I was working at Rockstar. He remembered that. We talked about more stuff. Like, so like, you know, black people and games, right? That's the thing. So like I was super disillusioned when I was just looking around. And I guess I went to my first G- game, dev- uh, game, dev- like game developers conference. And I was just like, where are the black people here? And why are there all these white people trying to tell me about their pushes for diversity or their games that are like about black people that don't involve black people? This was like 2012. And I was just like, what is going on here? So this developed, I started and then I actually gave a talk at Indiecade 2013 called how urban black and Latino cultures could be the next frontier of indie games, which was just an idea I had in my head. And then I went into like a four month research hole and like, even though I grew up in New York, I didn't like hip hop in as an art form, like graffiti, breakdancing, rap, all that stuff was, I just did not know enough about it. Like I liked rap. I was always steered away from graffiti. Breakdancing just seemed kind of ridiculous to me. I didn't know. But when I dug into it, I was just like, oh, this is an art form that was uh, also one of my best friends basically kept saying like, this is an art form that was born out of a response to people not having art. They basically had to steal stuff, plug into the walls, plug into light posts to make music. 
and to take back music. And like Questlove's written stuff about this. Like it's just like hip hop is like this like black and brown people at the brink of destruction came and just defined the world by making like this art form, this multidisciplinary art form, right? That also was very technically oriented, right? Like people had to use technology to make all this music and then keep doing it. So that was a big driving force of that talk and just doing all that research helped me clarify and start thinking like, well, how do I think we're going to get there? So I just started, if I find black people in the games industry, I ask them about what they're doing and I try to really pump them up and be like, thank you for doing what you're doing. I'm really excited for what you're doing. Uh, you're valuable. I want you to stay here because I didn't see many of us like a year or two ago. And so this is what I did to Kat. And it's, it's slightly a conspiracy theory because it's not really conspiracy, but I go and I just say, you know, there are no black people here. What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of try to wake people up a little bit because I know that for mm -hmm. all of my life, I never, I never thought any of this stuff. Like I never thought like, I didn't think like, Hey, I'm one out of zero. And as I look back on stuff, I'm always like, Oh, okay. I was the only one here. I was the only one there. And so Kat, it kind of stuck with Kat too. And Kat, uh, Kat and Chris and them, they founded, they had this little racing, they had a racing games round table at NYU game center. And it was just like 10 of us in a room talking about this stuff. Then that grew into, uh, the game does a color expo, the first one in 2016, where it was all round tables and then an arcade on the side. And I was like, Oh man, this is great. This feels great. Uh, and then the next year, because you know, Kat's just like overwhelmed. She called me and a few other people and we joined on and I had been going to the Schomburg center for like, they have a black comic book festival and they have like really amazing talks. They had a talk that was similar to like, there's talk about like the attack on uh, public broadcasting and how there was like this amazing show called soul where like all these soul mm -hmm. musicians and disco musicians were all on there. Like earth, wind and fire was on public broadcasting. And because Reagan's administration kept cutting back stuff, the show basically had to go away. And it was like this revolutionary show uh, highlighting black artists on public broadcasting that had to leave because like public funding got cut. So Schaumburg just, I went in there and I'm like, it's a pro black space. And I was like, where do you ever get to like, I don't know, do this. So that was one of the first things I did when we were talking about the game doesn't color 2017 was I said, we need to move to the Schaumburg center because that place just feels great to be in. And Kat was basically like, because Microsoft, um, where we were, where they were for the Game of the Colors Expo 2016, uh, is like a space that they don't charge us for. It's nice. Mm -hmm. They actually let us build a lot of community in the space. It's very, it's a very nice, if sterile office environment with really big rooms to have a lot of people, but it doesn't feel like, like a cultural space, right? So we, and the Schomburg cost money. I didn't know how much it cost. And Kat basically brokered that deal and started working with, uh, um, so that was like the thing. And then I also suggested that we shift to, um, uh, speaker track and then have the game simultaneously. So not separate, but turn it in more into like a conference, right? Like more like an event where you can do one or do the other or go in and out of talk. Because what I really wanted, I don't know, like, 
I'm, 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 I think I'm just more agitated than a lot of other people. And I'm just like, I want everything happening now. Like I'm very like, mm-hmm. let's <laughs> change it now. Like, uh, and so game does a pillar expo 2016 was like, Oh, that's amazing. And I had no idea how I was going to ever try to like do anything. So cat doing that like was amazing. And then when 2017 came on and she invited me on, I was still a very small part along with a lot of other people of making that. But like the little suggestions, the fact that she was just like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. And then that led to 2018 where Kat actually left because she was just burnt out and had a lot to do. And, uh, and then we brought on more people, Brian and GJ, they do the Chiefs Meow. They do their own um, organizing already. They were for like the New Jersey IGDA and stuff like that. So bringing them on and now 2019, it's all of us. Everybody <laughs> basically is in one room. So we've got six people putting this on and that's just like amazing. You uh, you raise the really interesting point earlier about, uh, and it's probably, it's probably that agitation that helps you notice it much more aggressively than uh, others. But uh when you're at a giant company like Rockstar, uh, and granted, Rockstar, you know, is, is international, uh, or even before that, you're starting to notice that some like professional resources or just opportunities are missing for uh, developers of color. So, what were the kinds of things you felt were missing at uh, a huge studio like Rockstar, uh, or did did it take you time to realize it after the fact? Um, yeah, there's, uh, I, I just noticed I was like the only black person in a room 99% of the time. And I would always be like, well, there's like five of us in the New York office and New York's 45% black and brown people. I'm like, where are the 45% people in this office that are not like, Mm uh, like, um, uh, receptionists or you know what I'm saying like because uh, like when I left right well actually when I started there was this amazing uh, black dude who I love uh, he, but he was a receptionist he moved to a higher position and they brought another uh, like a, a black woman as a receptionist and I'm just like yeah but like where are people that make decisions for how these games that often traffic in black culture uh, where are those people where are those people making voices that? at the table yeah, yeah. Like, voices at the top of the table also because like I mean, you can, and like, this is just a factual thing. San Andreas had DJ Pooh as a co-writer, right? Guy who's legit wrote, like, Friday, right? Co-wrote Friday with Ice Cube. Uh, so he co-wrote right. this game that is black people and, like, let's do this thing. And then GTA Five, which then shifts to having three characters, two of which are white, and are dealing with like the weird tragicness of their own whiteness. I guess that's mostly Michael as a character. Um, whereas like Pepper's yeah. kind of just nobody. He's the player. I always say he's the id of the game. But Franklin is nobody. He has no personality. And there are no black no, people. He's, he's the blankest slate out of yeah. all of them. Yeah. And it's like, it just feels, he feels like the person that everybody's like, they get to say the slang to. They get to be like, man, you're so cool because you're black. And that's actually a quote from somebody who I will not name, who was uh, uh, above me in the company, who actually, after I called them out for saying something kind of racist towards me, or actually just racist, 
then said something, then tried to make it up to me by just calling, saying how good my style was and how cool I am. And I'm just like, and how uncool they are. And I'm just like, that's not how you solve things, pal. Like, <laughs> you can't, you can't like make me feel better by highlighting my differences in a different way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, if you say, yo, your hair, blah, 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 something, something. And then you're like, man, your hair is so cool. Don't, don't. Like, there's actually no, a problem no. <laughs> with the game industry I actually have run into at between game to dev, game developers conference like 2017 and E3 this year, I've had two separate people. One person directly asked if I was Reggie Watts. Oh and, no! And another person just said, "You know who you look like," and that's the quickest way to get my smile to turn into a "the fuck are you gonna say, pal?" face. And then he just God said damn, Reggie Watts, wow. and I'm like, I'm, "No, I'm not. I'm a, he's six. He's shorter than me. We don't look anything alike." And the guy basically insisted because it was a compliment that he was giving me that I should just shut up and take it. Um, so it's things like that that I just noticed, like generally in this industry. Uh, um, I Although at E3 this year, there are like the black presence at E3 and like in, because of like uh, um, influencers, like I'm seeing so many more people. Like so, you know, Khalif, like uh, Andrian, who... Uh, works at Ubisoft who had a black professional event at E3 like that was amazing because you just walk into the space and you're like it's black people mm-hmm. black people as far as the eye can see and it's a small group still but like it was a group where I didn't have to look for people I just found people and I got to just talk to them and you could act like things are normal so that was that was, and I think I think uh Andrian was um kind of inspired by what we're doing and he all we also had him as a speaker this year so that's great I you know, Fr- Franklin, going back to GTA, Franklin kind of feels like the he's he's a 50 hour version of the black character in certain movies who's like, damn, y'all white people is crazy. And it's like, that is not that is not the way you write yeah, <laughs> a no. person of color no. uh, as this like as this like reverse uh, minstrel of sorts, uh, you know, and it kind of leads us into my next question here. One of the things I always remember reading about, uh, and like this struck me even harder, maybe because I, I am a white person, uh, having this aha moment about how so many games don't provide uh, options for, uh, like if they have a character creator, they don't provide options for black hair. Uh, like Gita Jackson has written about this before. I know at least one or two other uh, writers have touched on the topic before, but there's no like character creator option for like coily textured hair uh, that people of color might have. And I saw that like the game developer of color expo had this presentation about like illustrating personal experiences through systems. And I think a lot of, uh, run of the mill folks might get confused when we talk about systems in a game. Um, it's one thing to say like, Oh, we are Chicago or like a, a narrative adventure game tells a story about, uh, a person of color, and what their experiences are like, but it's another thing entirely to make the systems in a game uh, illustrate the lived experiences of people of color. So what kinds of things does uh, illustrating personal experiences through systems translate into into a game when we talk about people of color? Uh, One thing I'll just say is uh, this is kind of a problem, a thing that people kind of go into, which sometimes becomes an issue or is kind of an issue, and it's something black people even stumble into too, but like, uh, there's kind of a weird, uh, depth where people say, 
people of color when they just mean black people. Um, so, mm -hmm. so like I like and and even me like I personally like the Game of Color Expo. It's great. It's it's not a great title. Um, I we're we're we think about like changing it just because. Um, I don't know. Like uh, this this comedian. Uh, damn, why am I blanking on his name? He just said something that he's like, you call someone a colored person, they're like, no, you call them a person of color, and you're like, yeah, sure, and you're like, it's actually not that different. Um, right. So like, so just from like, I mean, because Gita's also talking about like, you know, black hair specifically, not people of color hair, right? Like, I mean, and it's more just like having options for different hairstyles, right? Like. Um, and I'm pretty sure the talk that you're asking about, uh, is Kat's talk about, um, she designed this game, Sweetheart, where it's like Sweet X Heart, which is pronounced as Sweetheart. And it's like, you pick clothing and based on how you pick clothing, you might get, um, like, a or in your hairstyle for the day and whatever. And based on that, you might be like, oh, I feel pretty good to go out today. And then you walk down the street. And a dude randomly shows up and like says something terrible to you. And that's kind of like a systemic thing because the guy, so like systems are like, I don't know, like, let me see. When we design, when we talk about illustrating personal experiences through systems, uh, one thing that you can say is so we start the game with Lisa, who is a Puerto Rican woman, uh, darker skinned, has nice big hair and dresses. She's a boxer, she does MMA. And so that's her character. She's in the middle. She's uh, not super, like she doesn't have the highest strength, doesn't have the highest grapple, but she's a really good character, basically in most situations. And that's kind of just who she is. That's also escaping the whole weak woman uh, stereotype of beat-em-up games that they tend to do. And so then she's going around, and then there's this character, Heather. She's a socialite. She's a white lady, blonde hair. And so, so all of our characters kind of have class types. So, uh, Lisa has, so our players have strikes and grapples. Those are their primary things. So she's in the middle with both of those. Heather, like the enemies actually do class types. So we have classes that are brawlers that are kind of 50 50. They not, they don't, they don't grapple. They just strike. They're kind of indifferent. Then there's, uh, Sneaky characters, which are like cowards, they kick dirt at you, they spit at you, they blow smoke in your face to try to lower your accuracy, and that makes it so that it's just kind of, they're kind of cowardly, so it's really hard to just nail them down, but we make it so that strikes miss because of that stuff, and then grapples are more likely to, so that's kind of just trying to get you to use grapples over strikes sometimes versus brawlers who you want to mm -hmm. use strikes more against. So these are kind of systemic things, right? If you put a grappler, if you if you pick Lisa and you fight a sneaky and a brawler, you're gonna have to keep thinking, oh wait, I tried to grapple the brawler, but he countered me because he is kind of indifferent. Um, and it, when you get him down low enough, or what if the sneaky character kicks dirt in my face and then it makes my strikes lower uh, accuracy, so I can't hit the brawler. Like, so how do I solve those problems? So these are like systemic designs. So then. Lisa's walking, so then we have some, oh, sorry. So we have support characters, which buff other characters, which basically they walk in and their main focus is giving uh, support to everybody else, giving them, making their attack go up, making their health go up, do all these things. Kind of like the mages of the group. And then you have like boss characters, which are a mix of the both. They can 
they can buff themselves, they they change their attack patterns based on things. It's, so these are kind of these systemic things. So Lisa, as this middle character who can kind of take on anything, she's walking around and you run into Heather, who is just shouting about wanting to touch Lisa's hair. And Lisa's like, no. And then the woman claiming she's, uh, Heather's claiming she's the victim. And so she's a support character. Then Gloria shows up, who's a cop, who's also, she's a light, lighter skinned, uh, Latin, Latino woman. And, but she's a cop. So cops support the system. So if you just think about real world systems, the police tend to support the rich, the affluent, the people who think the people that we like to how like, you know, stop and frisk, they tend to stop black and brown people more often than white people, even though white people are actually more likely to have the drugs on them. Uh, and because black people are more likely to be like, no, there was a comedian that was actually talking about how he never carries more weed than he can eat. So if a cop stops, <laughs> he'll eat all of it. And how yeah. he's like, so if you ever hear of a cop who said I had drugs in my car, it's like, nope, that's a lie because I ate it already. <laughs> so um, so then you get this yeah, fight where you have Lisa who can take on anybody walking into this fight with a brawler cop who has like specific, she has like, she can do stun on you. Like, so she's like kind of a threat as like a kind of a mini boss type character. But then she's augmented by the powers of this buff character. And so that just kind of illustrates gentrification in that sense, right? It's like this brown person is being fought by the state who's supporting this per, uh, uh, perceived, like, better person. The white lady is the one who's in distress, even though she was trying to violate the physical space of the darker brown woman. And right. then the police come to rescue, and then she starts making the police harder to deal with, like, because she keeps making Gloria's attack go up or giving her a shield, like a literal shield of help. Like, so if you want, you need to remove that from the equation in order to get at least a little bit on a better fair fight. And so that's like, when I was playing that one day, it's like, I designed these things sort of separately, actually. I was like, okay, this and that. But when I fought that fight one day, I was just like, Oh, so the story we're telling actually is up, is thankfully, it's when we're playtesting, is held up by the systems that we built into it. And so we actually don't have like that weird, whatever, quote unquote, ludonarrative distance. We have like, like, cause in the end, you know, like Puerto Rican women tend to survive, right? They tend to move through the system. Like my ex-wife's Puerto Rican. She designed actually Lisa and, you know, if there's, any tougher woman than her, like, I don't know who that is, really. Um, she'll fight it. Like, literally, she's almost fought people with me on the street. So it's like this, uh, because people would get in my face because of something stupid, right? Like, it's exactly, that's why I say it's, like, super autobiographical. Um, but so, like, if by doing those little bits and pieces of systemic design and then, you know, putting some story along with it, that can all speak to itself and support itself. You know, all this kind of reminds me of, uh, you mentioned the, the cop kind of advocating for the, the white woman in that story scenario. A lot of it reminds me of the original Dear White People movie where uh, one of the black girls, a, I believe like the, the wealthy black girl kind of figures that her place in life is to appease the white people around her and so she kind of it's this fragmentation of the uh 
uh, community because the systems in place are are giving some sort of incentive uh, for that particular person to act in a in a way different than uh, perhaps her peers. But you know, let's let's work through. We'll do like three questions here as we sort of vaguely begin to wrap up because uh, I don't want to keep you too long. But um, I love talking about. Uh, game development colleges and students. Uh, when I first started freelancing for Playboy, uh, one of the first things I did was like the best student games at GDC. And I loved talking to students and getting like their very greenhorn perspective on things. Um, and I imagine that the game devs of Color Expo uh, has to have a pretty sizable uh, student population, um, of course, being so uh, close to you know educational institutions like that. Uh, for for game dev students of color, actually, I, I once heard remarks from some development students about how cool it felt to be the first generation to be taught by professors who have played games almost all their lives, as opposed to like only a partial uh, of their lives, since now games have been around for decades and decades. Uh, for game dev students of color, what do you think are like the biggest impacts of having educators or advocates who are also uh, people of color? Uh, I don't like this, this. This is a hard one to answer because, like, I went to school and had nobody, um, just right. in general. So, like, I mean, there's uh, there's studies that talk about the impact on black students for having black teachers and how that changes actually their whole trajectory in life. How like having a teacher might be like who's who looks like them and understands their their struggle a little more might just change everything and that's like something that i never had like in the you know liberal bastion of new york like i just um i think i mean i had a couple of black teachers in uh in high school but by that point it was just like i like school i i did actually really well in school but it was more like the it was my friends who taught me more than teachers actually a lot of the time i guess uh, because i don't know and i i would I don't know. My, my school was very rigorous and I learned a lot, but that was like high school already. Like I'm already in my teens and I haven't really had any black teachers. And I don't know, again, like for me, I was, I like the, the weird thing about the biracial like conundrum a lot of times is especially like I was raised by, by my mom who's white um, is that's the other thing. Like I ran into, my mom didn't know how to deal with my hair. Uh, you know, she, she always just cut my hair real short. I didn't really have any understanding of how to shave. Uh, Brian Carr, who is one of the co-organizers of the Game Devs of Color Expo these days, he, like, he's also biracial and we have similar hair. And so he's actually, and he did a ton of research and he's had to teach his brothers and me how to, like, and I, we go to the same barber now. So, like, just the level, just the level of being able to see somebody looks anywhere similar like you in the thing that you're trying to do is huge. Um... I'm not the biggest proponent of games as, as education personally, because I didn't go to school for that. Um, I, and I'm in a weird place because a lot of people just say, man, Sean, you really get this. And it's like, I did a t just ton of my own deep dives. I wrote about games that I liked. I tried to think about them. I went to NYU game centers events a lot. And when I would listen to people talk about stuff that would validate me and going to like, uh, these like talks, so that's the thing, like going to talks has been very important to me, like going and doing little, um, doing little, uh, like, what was it, uh, like workshops 
or like day long workshops. Like I did the Mark LeBlanc like uh, MBA workshop at NYU Game Center. They had it there, so you didn't have to fly all the way to game, to GDC to do it. However, I was surrounded by white folks. Of one guy who is South African, who is a white person, and he said, "I'm an African American," and I almost threw him out the window. And it was like, so you know, the problem is, is that I'm in the middle of white people nobody understands anything about my issues with anything that's going on so like mm-hmm. like basic and the thing is is also in this space like there are no black people that are teaching for the most part and when i say no when i say there are no or there are none i mean there are less than one percent like because sometimes people are like like when you say there are no games starring black people and you're like well here's these 10 and i'm like yeah out of mm-hmm. like thirty thousand games man like like that's none that's less than a percent like so I don't know. People like to debate that shit. And I'm just like, what are you debating, man? You're bringing up the same list of the same things over and over and over again. It's like, okay, well, how about we make a longer list? That's always my goal. But there are like next to none, no like black educators in the space. There are still not enough black students. Um, And so that's what's really hard for me is like I went to when I was at SVA, I had no black teachers. I had no black students that were with me. I was the only person, I was the only black person in computer art. So do you think, what do you think would be the primary benefits of, of having more uh, people of color professors in, in game design programs like that? Would it be, would it come down to simply uh, these professors might better understand the experiences of students uh, who are black or brown, or would it go deeper than that? Uh, would they would they provide uh, more specific professional resources? What's what's the goal we aim for as we you know as an, as an, as we as an industry uh, try to push for more people of color in professorial roles like that? Um, again, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, like again, I, I think it's, if you just look at the, like, look up the black kids need to have black teachers, um, because it helps them in life. I don't, I think it's not necessarily one or the other. It's a lot of things. Uh, but like, again, like I can't speak to any of that because I have not ever had any of that. And I don't, again, I don't necessarily advocate for going and spending like, especially these days, like having gone to school, I went to school for about seven years in art school. Uh, partially oh, because I got failed by a teacher who didn't really want he didn't take my final because I was late to class on a Saturday it was a Saturday class I had two classes with him I came to the second class and he wouldn't take a final for either because I was late because he just had a bug <laughs> up his ass that I had a full-time job I was the only person in my class that had a 40 plus hour a week job I worked at GameStop as a manager right. because I was poor and I needed money to live um, I had to pay rent uh, where I've had to pay rent since I was like 21. Like, and I know people have had to pay rent longer, but I was on welfare and like social security, whatever before that. So like that all got cut off when I was, so it wasn't like I had money. I just, my mom would make me peanut butter sandwiches and stuff like for me to go to school. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so like, honestly, like I think mentorship is more important. Uh, and like, I don't know, man, I, I honestly think because like the last six, let me see, uh, 2019. So I think 2012 is when I actually had my own personal awakening towards the world. Like I, I, I always say I started listening to Saul Williams, uh, self-titled album and dead Prez, let's get free. And those two albums like unlocked, like 
me thinking about the world from a way more like that also helped me with the like, hey man, you know this system's fucked up, right? Type because mm. those albums are about like systemic abuses. Like, you know, Dead Prez are like socialist vegan rappers who talk about they have a song called Hip Hop and it's about how uh the the like detriments behind the, the, the industry and how like people get a publisher and they think they're going to make money, but then they're broke because the publisher takes all of their money and basically just exploits them, which is what the games industry does. Like, and if you actually just, uh, like, you know, read, like if you, uh, so the long and short of it is people need to think outside of video games, actually. Like I think going to school for games, in my opinion, like it's great. I see these students, we get great students who come and show their games at our event. Um, but my number one thing, when anyone ever tells, asks me what they should do for games, I say, learn something else. Because, like, games, yeah, like, game design, that's a thing. Sure. I think you could honestly, like, deconstruct games. Like, that's what I did. I deconstructed games to educate myself about them. And then I went to talks. Go to talks. Go to conferences. Go to cheaper conferences, like our conference. Um, we try to fly people. We fly out, like, novices, like, people who've never given a talk before who just like organized tournaments or stuff like this is these are people that we've flown out because I take I, I use Twitter again shout out to Twitter for getting uh like the African diaspora finding people and um like it takes a lot of work for me but I always want to bring people to New York I don't want to make it super expensive for them to get here and we even th we are thinking about in the future trying to get some attendees to fly out like who aren't even speakers not even devs just finding out money to get them to come out or we also had a gdc scholarship where we sent people to we tried to give people money to go to gdc and give them a badge which gdc works with us on except we have to raise all the money for the scholarship they just give us the badges um the number one things that have really helped have been like any mentorship that i've had but also like i don't know i'm weird like i'm i'm kind of that person who just keeps going forward even though i don't see the thing that i want i'm trying to change it and then i poke people and i try to get them to change it and Thankfully, things are going in that way, especially, again, like, thank you to Kat for even starting Game Does Color Expo. Game Does Color Expo is, like, a thing I think I want to help students. Like, I want them to help people. I want a student to go to school to learn English lit, to learn about the world, and then I want them to come to our event and say, oh, I can apply this to making video games or card games or board games or whatever the fuck. Like, I don't – or go to a master's program, and then that's when they're starting to do games. Right. Like I think, mm. uh, again, like the last seven years of my life has been learning and I'm like, turning, I turned 37 in August. Like, it's like, I'm almost 40. I, uh, I put out, I have not put out my first, you got to pay me money for an independent game until I have not put that out yet. Right. I put out like in small, very small game jam games out in the world. And I made like a board game thanks to NYU game center because I would attend their things and they kind of date. And so, um, this reads to another question that you have coming up later, but it's like, how do white people get involved? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, uh, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that, uh, <laughs> you, you suggest this, you want to suggest to students like, you know, do also learn something else because that's, uh, what a lot in, in media, that's what a lot of my professors taught me is, you know, use the base of your education, which will ostensibly be journalism, uh, but also make sure that you're studying something else because like, well, what kind of, what kind of journalist or I suppose in this case, developer, are you going to be, are you going to be one who knows 
their shit about history? Are you going to be one that knows their shit about politics or uh, niche interest, et cetera, et cetera? And I think that that's where, yeah, a place like uh, Game Devs of Color Expo maybe uh, helps reinforce something like that of no one is just a game designer. You can be a game designer who illustrates these kinds of experiences or uh, or builds a different kind of studio culture kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, it is, it is the obvious question, uh, whenever I, uh, do a, a, an interview like this is without, without like putting the onus on people of color, of course, what kind of role, yeah, should white developers or just white people in general play in conversations about diversity in the industry? Because the Game Developers of Color Expo is really all-inclusive, and you see a lot of white people having a good time in photos that the Expo puts out. But what role in those harder conversations should those kinds of people play? Yeah, so, because, and this is why I was transitioning early, because this is just leads to, um, um, the, the the NYU Game Center is um, not all white people, mostly white people. Um, devs that have been in the industry for a while, or newer people who you know graduated and gravitated towards the space, and they're they're like like just if you run a conference or you run a like school program, you should have talks. You spend money on getting people there. Like that's how I've met a lot of very smart people. Um, is going to NYU Game Center and them just bringing people like uh, like Harvey Smith or Anna Anthropy, like you know other white people who have done very important things in the games industry to us. And like Anna is like someone who I've always gotten along with. Uh, well, initially she was a little skeptical of me, and then I started talking about just like the the, the like anti-capitalist like and issues of that were like of importance. She's like, oh yeah, this this guy is like not full of shit. Um, um, but like, like in Harvey, like, you know, my first thing I ever told Harvey, I don't know. One of the things is like when people come to you and they're like in your crowd, I don't know, treat people like people, but also understand, like, don't ever make people feel weird. Cause that's the one thing, like, if you start making me feel weird, as I talked about before, like, like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like, I don't want to ever feel like, and I often do feel like the diversity in the room or if I get invited to an event, like I got invited to MIG the Montreal International Game Summit uh, in the fall, actually they invited us as a group, the Game of Color Expo organizers, but they only had enough money. They said, one or two of you can come. And I'm like, we have money. And I'm like, so for two people, you have enough money? They said they gave us a number and that number was only enough to house and fly out one person. But they said, oh, but you could send two people. And I'm like, well... And then they oh, asked yeah. us to come to do an advocacy talk. And I'm like, our whole event is about change, not advocating for change, but change. We are here to change things. Uh, at the Game Doesn't Color Expo 2019, uh, because uh, Humble Bundle was on board with this, they sponsored our event and they gave us a like $15,000 grant to award to one of our, somebody that we chose. That's crazy, right? That's pretty cool. Like that's not a lot of money, but it's money to make a small project. Um, when I brought this up uh, with Fernando at Humble Bundle, he basically said, I said, yeah, I want to figure, like, because we need to figure out how to get these people paid because, like, you know, you go to, like, countries, like, like the thing that I don't think we pay enough attention to is Australia, the UK, Canada, they have media funds. 
America does not have media funds. Like America has a like history of like lots of terrible things, but we don't have a media fund. So it's like, like um, you often see like, or like South Africa is a great example. Like South Africa has a lot of white devs and not many black devs that are like, and they're coming up like devs of color in general in South Africa are coming up. There are more, we've, we've had them at our event and we spent money on that. Um, but like, mm. The thing is, it's like, I don't know, sometimes you got to look at these, it's, 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 a, it's, I don't know, it's a multi-tiered thing. And I always think about myself, like, so um, if you treat me weird and you treat me like I'm like a weird snowflake or you like, uh, I, I don't know, um, like, so the, when I think about like the devs in this industry that have done the most, um, uh, like, I think about devs that just mentor me and they're just like, yeah, you're a smart person. Like just keep going with what you're doing. And also not like trying to discount my feelings about things like, because they're not just feelings, you know, people do have feelings sometimes, but sometimes, you know, like I have like actual facts, like because I've spent way too much time and people will like, sometimes they'll debate you. Like I was in a conversation where I said something like, like, oh, yeah, black and uh, like I was like women and other marginalized people tend to not like uh, like put more on their resume. And they'll also just not even apply a lot of times. And they'll just be very like, I don't belong in this job. And then someone was like, well, no, I've had people try to bullshit me before. And I'm like, yeah, OK, fine. But I know that there are studies that say that the percentages is much higher that white men in this industry get in knowing nothing that they say they do than other groups. And the guy was like, well, I don't know those studies. And I'm like, don't fucking battle me on this, bro. Like, I'm just like, in this industry specifically has so many people who try to fight me on like things that I know a lot about. And I know a lot about the history of like slavery in the world and stuff like that. And how that is, we want to talk about systemic problems, right? Like systemic, like telling personal <laughs> stories through systems. It's just like, these are just like, why don't black people have um, computers? Why don't they have this? Why don't they have that? Or they're just not interested. Like this was a part of my whole talk was like a lot of people always say, well, they're not interested. Or when I say, I want to have more black people making games, then people go, oh, I'd love to see what a black person's game would look like. And I'm like, they probably look a lot like another person's game. They need the opportunity to make games. And another thing that I, I mean, I, like the way I see the path forward, honestly, is, um, to, to support, because it's weird, like to support diversity in the industry. Um, scout people. Um, if like, don't make it weird, because that's like, I've, I've learned, stop making it weird. I don't, I don't, um, I, I, I spot black people a lot of times specifically. And then I go up to them and then I just have a conversation. I used to kind of be like, good to see black folks here. And sometimes people react well to that. Sometimes they don't. So I've learned over time on my own to be like more like just, hey, what do you do? Like, so if you see people that are like, oh, um, find them, start like find people that are different in the room, different than you and start talking to them about jobs or talk about what, the, what they want to talk about if you've never met them before and like see where they want, support them. Like that's number one thing as, in the industry is how like, I think I've met just so many people as people just like talking to me or just uh, like just not blowing me off for whatever reason. I mean, and I'm like, and I mean, I know like 
people tell me all the time, they're like, oh yeah, you get it. You get that. And I'm like, yeah, not everyone's me. So I'm like, a lot of people are really timid. I've, I've, I've tried to talk to this one dude who's an amazing artist. I've tried to figure out how to get him a job. And I, he finally got a job after like years, but he's like spent money going to different conferences. Never made, never got a job. Like took like, finally found a job. And I'm like, I don't know, man, like you got to go out of your way sometimes just to find people. And I know it's illegal, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But like, then don't, don't, don't announce it. Just like, you've got to target your mark, target your hiring in your head. Don't put it anywhere and just be like, I'm hiring this person who is a clearly competent person, but I'm making sure that they're here. Um, and then, yeah, mentoring, like finding people who don't have, like, like I wanted to invite one of my friends who has done uh, marketing work for me, just doing mostly like events. Like he has uh, like, you know, demoed the game for like days at a time at uh, events, like at the Game Doesn't Tell Expo. Um, he doesn't have a high school degree. And that was like the basic thing keeping him out. And I'm like, you know so much about marketing. You've worked in retail for so long and you can't get a job at a company because like at Rockstar, because they require that. And I'm like, well, like maybe you should figure out how to like, I don't know, man, like figure out more about these people and try to like, like if someone doesn't have a high school degree, that's an interesting story. Why don't you have a high school degree? You're clearly a smart person. Like, let's talk. Like if like my goal actually personally for me is I would love to be able to grow my company or grow like a nonprofit or something to train people to work on games and like people that like, because outside of the, the academic system where you're dumping 50 K a year, right? Like there are no game study things that are like less than that really. Um, as far as I know, uh, like even SBA that I went to was 16 K when I started, it was 20 some odd when I left, it is 50 some odd now. And I'm like, you don't, you don't make, you don't make yeah. three times as much money in the world today getting a job, like getting, coming out of SBA. So it's like, I don't know how that can be three times as much. Uh, my ex-wife's daughter, who I helped raise from the time she was like five until 14. Uh, and I still, we still hang out. We still go to stuff. She went, she got a, you know, she got a scholarship to like Pratt, but that scholarship was 30K out of 50K a year. So she still owed 20K a year. She ended up going to FIT and she's an illustrator. So like, and FIT is really good for illustration. It's going to be great. Full ride doesn't have to worry about that leaving school. Um, so it's like, that's why I can't necessarily always advocate. Like I almost went to NYU actually, like the MFA, the first year of the MFA I almost went to. And there were a lot of reasons that kept me back from it. One, because I knew I was going to be surrounded by white people who were going to say some dumb shit one day. And I was going to get really upset. Like what happened at that MBA group class that was also at NYU. Like it's like, it's just when you're outnumbered by a lot of people and you have a, a, a complaint about something that's happening, like just the simple complaint of why are there no other black people here? Like that's a lot of times my complaint. And they're like, what does it matter? And I'm just like, okay, my eyes gloss over, a flash of rage goes over my face and I just want to. You, you, you mentioned that like d d don't treat people of color like like a unicorn in the room because that's actually not helpful right and i think I, that's a lesson i've had to learn as a as a journalist in the game space too is if if someone has a game that has that you know tries to illustrate a very uh unique experience to the the uh, black or brown community uh that's one thing but like yeah i should i shouldn't do like what you said you used to do go up to uh, a black or brown person at an event and be like Hey, nice to see a black or brown person here. It's no treat them like the person they are and their experiences 
uh, will come through in the way that they carry themselves and the, the work that they put out. You don't need to uh, automatically uh, prescribe uh, so many things to them, right? You know, the Game Devs of Color Expo, like you said, started uh, 2016, right? Yeah. And uh, so now we were entering uh, this, I guess, so 2016, 17, 18, 19. We just had our fourth Game Devs of Color Expo. For the big number five, uh, as an organizer, um, what are the the areas that you are hoping to uh, improve the event, grow it, or what parts of the community that you know comes to such an event? Uh, what kinds of improvements or advancements or evolutions of the event do you want to see in the future? Uh, I would, well, like as I mentioned before, like giving out like you know a fifteen thousand dollars scholarship to make a game, like that was huge for us. Like I, um, and I honestly wanted to give it. So we had five finalists. I wanted to give all of them money. Uh, right. So I want to give more people money and I, because I, I think uh, money business plan training, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to do that, but I like, I want to drill certain things into people's heads. Like, um, I don't know, continue like the idea that like, you know, the way you're going to get a publishing deal is by being able to tell someone they'll make their money back. Whereas people often be like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, well, that's not how you get money. You got to be like, here's the plan of how we're going to get you your money back. Even if you think in the back of your brain, there's no fucking way we're ever going to make this money back. Um, how to carry yourself. Um, so I guess the other thing is like, I don't know, like there's a lot going on. And as you can tell, I'm in my head about a lot of this stuff. Um, we want to expand to another day. So we want to have like two days. That's, but that was a plan this year, but. Um, we were not able to do that because we didn't have, um, all the money in place early enough. And, you know, it doesn't just become double for the space. It becomes, uh, well, how do you, if you invite speakers or people, well, then you're paying for one more night per person because you don't want to be shitty and be like, you can only come to one day for the event and then go home. Uh, so for helping fly you out, we want you to, we want to keep you out here a little longer. That means we have to have more snacks for everybody. Um, so one of our goals is just to raise more money and have a bigger and better event. I'm still waffling on how to, um, like what, how would you want to expand stuff? Like, um, we had to turn down a lot of speakers this year, uh, and I wanted all of them. <laughs> so like, that's one of the things, like I want, like, you know, our, I want to be able to, um, I don't know. I want to be able to engage people more. Um, I really honestly want to figure out better how to put, I don't know. I want to make, I want to make people more money. Like that's the number, that's like literally the number one thing in the games industry is like, like I think I was talking about this before and then yeah, the media arts funds, right? Like the U S does not have that. So that means you've got to have money like from a job, right? Like, and, so like students and all these other people who want to grow up, like, you know, the term student's kind of dumb because student can mean anything. You could be 65 and going back to school and have uh, like four kids in college and be rich, right? Like, so that doesn't mean that you necessarily deserve like the 20% off at this place versus like someone who's not a student. Like what if someone didn't go to college and they're just like living life? Like, oh, I'm not paying 50 grand a year to go to NYU. I can't get a 10% off on this little book. Whereas someone who can't afford to pay 50 grand to NYU gets that 10% off. That's kind of like, um, kind of weird. But so, um, I honestly think just like opportunity to create and kind of trying to educate people just in the sense of getting them energized 
one of the big focuses for me is adults because I was 30 when I left Rockstar and I still, I, I looked at a dev dial, diary that I wrote where I said, I want to finally be a game developer. So I worked at a game company like, and I, you know, I didn't like code the games. I helped out with a lot of different stuff. I helped out with things that were in the games and I helped sell millions and millions of games, right? Like through marketing efforts. I didn't see myself as a game developer. I didn't really, I still saw myself as kind of like a, like an outsider. So if I felt that way and I'm like this, like, like gung ho, move forward, work on a indie game for seven years or so. And we're going to fucking put this out, right? Like that's me. Like I'm, I don't give up. I ran two Kickstarters for my game. One, one quote, one did not get funded. And the second one, I started two and a half weeks after the first and that one did get funded. Right. Like I didn't give up even in the span of like six months on that thing. Like I don't, I'm someone who definitely doesn't give up and I find it hard to exist in the games industry. Right. Like I found it hard. I had to just keep peeling away and peeling away and it's so exhausting. So the, you're already kind of a, a unicorn in the sense that like you, you were 30 when you left Rockstar yeah. and uh, so many people burn out even before then. Yeah. yeah. So like the fact, yeah. Oh man. Uh, Talk about 2 a.m. mornings going home. Uh, yep. But like, yeah, and then and then going to like practice pixel art because I really wanted to make video games. So I'm like, I don't know everybody. Like my wife, she goes to sleep at like 10 or 11 at night. Like she's always like, how do you find the energy to like do a day job and then do an evening thing and then come home and then work till three in the morning also? And it's like, I don't know. But again, like that's, I don't want that to be for everybody. And, uh, like I would get really energized by other industries. So like my goals with this is to really, I don't know, like we want to, we want to continue changing the industry. We don't want to be advocating for change. We want to just make sure that the industry is changing. And I see that by seeing more devs of color, making things and finally breaking that weird barrier of like not winning awards. Usually, you know, like, like you see like all these award shows, like for Indicate or for, the IGS and all these things. And like, I don't see black people on those stages. And it's just like, and like, I tend to say black people because just for me, because of who I am, like, you know, my dad's black, I'm biracial black. I take a very pro black experience. I'm not against anybody else, but these are the people I'm rooting for. The people who came from slavery. One of my best friends, Chinese and Vietnamese grew up super poor along with me. Like I love him too. Not, 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 different but like also the reality is japanese and chinese and korean devs are actually the industry in a lot of ways um so you can mm-hmm. see yourself you can see yourself making games right like these are the people like and asian americans like they're making games like they are on stages black folks not so much so that's just why i tend to use that as shorthand black and latino people who basically were told to die in the 70s in new york by the u.s so I want to see more of these people making games and then out like, like, I don't know, like just adding, adding stuff to the industry. Um, I want to make it to a point where we don't have to, um, I don't know. People are like, I want to see what a black person's game looks like or whatever. And I'm just like, we need to, I just want to make it so that like, we don't like that, that people can just make games about whatever the fuck they want. They don't have to necessarily, everyone wants people to tell like their story. And I'm like, no, like my friend Ethan Red, who we gave him the scholarship, like he makes like Sega colored 
beautiful, like Saturn looking racing games and stuff. And yeah, I'm like, you don't have to make games, but like his racer characters are darker skinned often. So like, you know, that's just like the little things that it's like, cool. You feel comfortable doing that. I like you. That guy grew up poor in Buffalo, New York. Like, you know, that guy is an inspiration. Uh, and so like, I want more, I want people to feel like ownership. And that's another guy who's been pushing through, but like, you know, like we had to give him the $50,000, right? We had to do that. Like who, no one gave him like $200,000 to make his game. No one gave him a million dollars to make his game. Whereas like a lot of people were getting that or they're getting it from Toronto's like media fund or Canadian media fund or the Australian media fund or UK media fund. Like I want to, I want to, I want to get that to a point where, well, you know, I don't know if our government <laughs> is ever going to do anything for anybody again. But so I want to maybe not with this president. So, so no. just I guess, and this is important. And it, yeah, my my wife's running late for dinner. Also, everyone's running late, so that's fine. Um, so this will be the last point. Uh, I I've been okay. trying to pull this out a lot recently. Like Black Panther, right? The movie. Right. It's an interesting movie because it's one of the most successful movies of all time based on a D tier superhero character made by white people in a room a long time ago, like 50 years ago. Right. Um, almost 60 years ago, like in the 60s. Um, and he was not cool. He was not like somehow they missed Shaft when they were designing like Iron Fist or not Iron Fist, the Power Man. Somehow they missed the fact that black Americans didn't uh, identify with being African. So making an African character in for black Americans was not actually a good look because the name T'Challa to a guy named like Maurice or something like who's actively avoiding being like the African roots because that's, that's literally like what Kwanzaa was born out of is people avoiding like the African diaspora because they just thought it was so far and you were taught, Oh, it's far, it's dirty. There's AIDS, all this stuff. They're not good you're a black American, you don't even know, you don't even have rights, right? In the 60s, right? You don't even have rights. So they tried to make a black African character for black Americans who, so so again, that just shows how like a character that was on such a bad arc now made one of the most successful movies of all time that was actually one of, is the only Marvel movie to earn an Oscar, right? How did it get there? Michael B. Jordan uh, no, not Michael B. Jordan. Well, Michael B. Jordan was in Fruitvale Station, directed by Ryan Coogler. Ryan Coogler, that movie mm-hmm. was funded by Forrest Whitaker, at least partially. Forrest Whitaker was a successful black actor who was able to turn that money around and help a young director get off the ground, right? Chadwick Boseman's education was paid for, at least in part. I, these are things I don't know 100%, but I know that Denzel Washington took an interest in Chadwick Boseman, another successful black and there's that there's that generational change there. Yeah, yeah. And and all of this, like where did these people black exploitation changed Hollywood and gave a lot of directors and actors a new start. And then they kind of took black exploitation and you know, it's not all positive, but the positives that came from it were black heroes and all these things that they were like, you know what, black people can be heroes in movies too, and they will make money. It'll be successful. I'm not always saying capitalism's the solution, but I'm just trying to say like black exploitation led towards Black Panther being huge. And there was a lot of steps along the way of people supporting each other and people having the means to support each other. We need to be able to support each other. So like that's the end of the color expo. I want us to be able to support people, to get people like ties to companies 
to have them make games for things. I want people to be able to just make more games and not necessarily worry about, you know, losing their house or losing anything like that, which is right. just the way independent art happens anyway in general. But like, you know, it's like, why should people that just like got a good job as a programmer in the nineties when it was really well-paying versus now, which is just mildly to okay well-paying that they could save so much money and then like, Put it into a game today, right? When they were working at a games company making a ton of money back in the day, now they can then turn around and make their own small million dollar independent project. It's just like, what do you mean? <laughs> so it's like this generational stuff, like what you said. It's like, I want us to take these generations of people and I want to, to send them out. And just a very positive thing that happened where these tech kids just were in the Schomburg. They came from a school with a senator who was showing them the Schomburg Center. Uh, like, you know, Black Focus Center, telling them about the history of the, the place. And then one of the people from the Schomburg said, I'm sorry, they just kind of showed up, uh, but they'll be leaving soon. But um, do you want to, like, figure out if they could come to the thing? And I was like, yo, if they have time, I want them to come. Um, and they, they came around. And we have all these pictures of them playing around with Nintendo Labo stuff and having a great time. And I'm like, like 40 kids just showed up. And we were like, yeah, come here, play games like have fun, like, you know, and I felt like that in and of itself was kind of revolutionary. Um, hopefully. So, and when I tell people about this event, they're like, Oh, and so it's like a, a vehicle for, for disseminating information, getting people to come. I would love to grow it nationally or inspire other people to do it. I'm actually in the middle of writing a, how the fuck did we do this thing? Because it's a lot more work than anybody thinks it's like six of us working an inordinate amount of time, like maybe having health issues through it and uh, having to come on, go off. And like, it's just, it's just a lot of work. And, but like, you know, like it's super worth it. And, you know, uh, a podcast like this, I know will only move the needle a hair, but uh, I, I guess, you know, it, it's my hope that we continue to have conversations like these so that maybe a young black or brown kid hears someone like yourself talking and says, Hey, I, I'm not alone in my concerns about this industry, or I'm not alone in uh, my inability to, to find the resources I need. And hopefully, hopefully one day we're going to get to a place where, yeah, we're making change and we're not just advocating for it in fancy speeches and we're getting those awards. We're getting that medal, you know, um, Sean, I, I really appreciate you giving me a really, really <laughs> big window into all this. Uh, I, it is, it is rare. I find someone with as much, uh, uh, passion as this. And I mean that in the most respectful way, of course, uh, I guess, uh, where can people find you and where can people find a uh, treachery and beat down city? Oh yeah. So I am, uh, a new challenger. So a N U challenger, uh, on Twitter, uh, newchallenger.com uh, without the A. I wanted to be New Challenger initially, but for some reason I couldn't get it. Um, but now I have it. So it's just a dormant account. Um, beatdown City, Beatdown underscore City, or BeatdownCity.com or Beatdown.City for as long as I decide to keep that weirdly expensive domain that was kind of cheap the first time. Uh, yeah, you can look up that on YouTube also. Like Treachery Beatdown City on YouTube has a uh, trailer that I almost died making just from sleep deprivation, but I loved it so much. And the song I got to work with Open My Eagle and I love them very much. Um, and then Game Does of Color Expo is Game Does of Color Expo 
Gdoc.com, G-D-O-C-E.com. It's a weird name. Uh, we're still working on trying to figure that out because we want to make it portable one day. Like, I don't want to make the Game Devs of Color Expo booth at a place. Like, I want to find some sort of shorthand to signal it. Also, because I don't, I, I, I think subversion was very important. So I think having someone stumble into a booth that's just all like black and brown creators, and they're like, oh, I had a really good time. And, and then meeting devs, and they're like, oh, uh, okay. Like, and I mean, but what I've seen more often than not, especially making a game starring, or start, it stars three characters, but you start as Lisa, that was a conscious decision because I wanted people, I liked her a lot, and I wanted her people to start as her to subvert people's own things. Nobody, no man has ever told me, I don't want to play as a girl. Never. And ever. They might not want to play my game because they think it looks dumb or whatever, but people who start playing my game are like, oh, yeah, cool. And they just fit right in. So, um, yeah. So just if you follow any of that stuff, that's the best way to keep in touch. And ladies and gentlemen, make sure to support the Game Devs of Color Expo. Uh, check out Beatdown City. I will include links to all that in the SoundCloud description below. Uh, and every Monday, you can find a new episode of the 1099 here on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Google, and elsewhere. Sean Alexander Allen, thank you so much. Thank you.